If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I've been, uh, I've been meditating on this psalm for, for years. Um, in fact, when we lived in New York City, I used to uh, take a walk from our little apartment there on the Upper West Side through Central Park to the Upper East Side. And oftentimes, uh, I would just just sit in Psalm chapter 1. And I, I think it's, 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 really, it's really helpful uh, in your prayer life to pray Scripture. It's just a really helpful practice, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, and especially men, Psalm chapter 1 is, is just a good psalm for us to memorize and give back to God. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of sinners shall perish. So, Father, would you speak to us from your word today? In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, I used to collect baseball cards. Remember those? Um, and I, I can still see myself opening up, up a pack of them, especially those Fleer baseball card packs with the pink, with the pink stick, stick of gum. You, you guys remember those, anybody? See, you see, in my day, video games were a new thing. We actually went outside and played. I, I know y'all don't know about going outside and playing, but by day, we used to go outside and play. And um, so we, we collected baseball cards, too, and I'd open up, open up a pack of baseball cards, and I would... I would pop that little pink stick of gum in my mouth and start chewing, and I'd start scanning those baseball cards. And what I was looking for were, were those special baseball cards. You know, the, the ones with the players who had the most home runs or the highest batting average or the most all-star appearances. And I, I would take those special baseball players when I would find them, those cards, and I'd put them in a notebook that had these, these plastic uh, sheets in it, and each one with its own individual sleeves. And, and I, would, I would put the special player in, in this special sleeve so that the card would be protected. Now, I had stacks and stacks of these until I went off to college and my mom called herself cleaning up my room. And she threw out all my, my, my baseball cards. Yeah, I'm not bitter about that. Um, you know, I tried to call mama on it in the most respectful of ways. Um, mama, why'd you do that cleaning up my room? She said, well, first of all, it ain't your room. You have officially left the house. That's another story for another time. <laughs> And so I had stacks and stacks of these notebooks filled with these special baseball players, and, and, and I, I wanted these cards protected because they were, they were valuable, and the reason why they were valuable was because of their performance on the field. These were, these were special, highly valuable cards that, that if I could play baseball, I would have done well to emulate their performance on the field. But no disrespect to these individuals, 
many of these same individuals, I wouldn't want to emulate who they were off the field. They were great performers, but as far as character and integrity, they weren't necessarily people I wanted to cut and paste into my life. The problem with our society today is we tend to value the wrong things. We tend to place a high price tag on on people's achievements and accomplishments and accolades and their performances. We, 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 we tend to do these things. I mean, just, just think of some celebrities in our, I mean, I, mean, I, just, I, just, I don't mean any disrespect. I, I don't mean any disrespect to people who are acting. I think Christians need to be in that realm, be in that circle. But, but just think of, think of how jacked up our society is. We actually idolize people who get paid to pretend. I'm not belittling that. I'm not belittling. I think we need Christians there. But we idolize people who get paid to pretend. So I just want, just want you to let that soak into your spirit. I, I, I was, I was watching, watching uh, one person on TV. Won't, won't say their name. But this person got famous, got famous and has millions of followers on Instagram and her career got started because she put out a very pr- provocative videotape. This is what we idolize. So we, we value this stuff over here, but, but when it comes to character and integrity, we don't have enough manhood posters. So I want to draw us all into Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 presents to us, brothers, a man worth emulating. And he's not known for his performance. He's not known because of the amount of money he has. He's he's not valued because of what he does for a living. In fact, we don't even know what this person does for his living. But brothers, this is the kind of person you need to be able to look to as a person that you go, I want to live the way he lives. In our text, we don't even know his name. He's simply called the righteous person. To be fair, in our text, Psalm chapter 1 actually deals with more than just one kind of person. It deals with two kinds of people. There's the righteous person, and and then right around verse 3 or verse 4, we're introduced to the wicked person. Notice what he says. The psalmist says, uh, the wicked are like chaff. Now, we don't live in Farmersville, USA. We live in in the tech hub of the world, so we got to unpack this. What does it mean when he says that the wicked person is like chaff? Well, he's using a farming analogy that was used during harvest time when a when a person was was threshing wheat, and in that process, this individual would take a large pitchfork and he would winnow this wheat. He would throw the wheat up into the air, and he had one goal to separate the the wheat from the chaff. And he'd throw the wheat up into the air, and the heavier kernels of grain would come down to the ground while the light stuff, known as chaff, would fly away. They wouldn't fall to the ground immediately. Why? There was no substance there. There was no weightiness there. This is what he calls the wicked person. 
He's not, he's not wicked necessarily because of what he does, although that'll, that's bound to happen. What I do comes out of who I am. But what makes this person wicked is he's like chaff. There's no substance there. There's no weightiness there. There's no, there's no sense of heaviness to this person. They may, they may, be, um, they may be heavy financially, but they are, they are anemic when it comes to character and integrity. What we need are righteous people, people of substance. People, when it comes to character and integrity, are obese. This is what he gets at when he says that the righteous person is like a tree. Now, I'll unpack this in just a few moments, but when you think of trees, you, you think of these deeply, and I love it, he actually talks about it, these deeply rooted and planted um, entities. They're not flighty. They're, they're not here one moment and go, gone the next. They're rooted. They're planted. They're dependable. Ladies, by the way, I don't want you to check out because Psalm chapter 1 actually gives you the profile for what kind of man you should be praying for. This is a man who's filled with substance. This is a man whose roots go deep. This is a man who's, who's dependable that you can count on. Obviously, the argument the psalmist is making when, he, when he's talking about these two kinds of men, he's saying, listen, brothers, I want you to be like the righteous man. When it comes to character, have substance, have principles, have a sense of weightiness to who you are. Live like the righteous man. Now, the question on the table now is why? Why should I not go the way of the world, but why should I go the way of the righteous person? He answers it in the first word of our text in Psalm 1, verse 1. Here it is, blessed. 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 Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Why should I give my life to being like the righteous person? Answer, you will be blessed. Now, the psalmist is writing in Hebrew, fasten your seatbelts for this. You know what the Hebrew word for blessed means? Fasten your seatbelts. It means happy. Now, I don't mess some of y'all up, especially those of you who grew up in church, because if you grew up in church, you were probably taught that to be happy is to be ungodly. I'm just here to tell you, if you just do a linguistic study on the word blessed, in both the Old and the New Testament, it means happy. It means happy. In fact, many scholars tell us that Psalm 1 is actually a beatitude. It, 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 it begins with blessed. In other words, Psalm 1 unpacks for us what the blessed life looks like. So, brothers, if you want to live the blessed life, look at Psalm 1. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, when I said the word beatitude, it probably rung the bell uh, because the most popular sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, begins with a list of beatitudes. Jesus says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
over and over and over. Jesus says, bless, 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 bless. You know what that means in the Greek? It means happy, 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 happy. So I don't care what your pastor may have told you. To be happy is not the antithesis of being godly. It's actually synonymous with being godly. But please notice the problem with happiness is not in being happy. It's your source of happiness. Notice nowhere in Psalm 1 and nowhere in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is the blessed life equated with the stuff of this world. He doesn't say blessed are the, are, are, are the employed. He doesn't say blessed are the financially stable. He doesn't say blessed are those who are in good health. In other words, my happiness is not found in those things. Instead, as Jesus unpacks the Beatitudes, he locates the blessed life with the kingdom of God. And you only get into the kingdom of God by having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So that the blessed life has nothing to do with what you drive. But it's who you are in relationship with. Listen to me. What I'm about to tell you, it's tweetable. Listen. Don't miss this. The biggest question in life is not what am I here for, but who am I here for? The greatest question you can ever answer in life is not the question, what am I here for? It's not even the question, why am I here? The greatest question in life is, who am I here for? I, I tell you guys this all the time. I'm just discipling my sons, and we have these fireside chats all the time, and I'm sitting with them. I says, look, guys, there's really only three questions I want you to answer with your life. Question number one, who's your master? Question number two, what's your mission? Question number three, who's your mate? You check those three boxes. It's huge. But at the start of the list is you have to answer the question, who's my master? Now, all of us in this room have answered that question. The problem is for most in our world, who their master is is themselves. The blessed life begins, hear me, when you decide that God is going to be the end-all, be-all of my life. God calls the shots. I'm here for him. I live in relationship with him. Now, what happens is, is when I check that box, I am now in the sweet spot of God's will, and when I walk in righteousness, in right relationship with him, I ain't got to worry. I don't have any sense of anxiety because I'm walking in relationship with God. See, all of us know the pain. Let, 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 let me just say this. So I, I, got, I got a friend of mine, and he was telling me about the time in which um, they had their first child. And uh, he, he gets a call at work. His wife's like, yeah, my, my, my water just broke. I'm in labor. He drops everything, gets in the car, speeds down the freeway. He's frantically checking his rearview mirror because, you know, he's breaking every law to man. Uh, picks up his wife, uh, throws the overnight bag in the car. Uh, they get in the car. He's speeding back down the freeway. He's anxious, you know, because they're about to have their first kid. But he's also like, I mean, I'm breaking all these laws. Sure enough, the cops pull up behind him, flashing sirens, and he's like, they, they got me, but I got to expedite this thing. So he gets out his driver's license and registration. Cop comes over, and he says, he says, I'm so sorry. I know I was speeding. Here's my driver's license and registration. My wife is pregnant. She's in labor. And the cop looks at him and is like, I don't need these. Let's get you to the hospital. 
So he calls another cop, my buddy says. He says, I got two cops with their lights on escorting me to the hospital. And he said, this time, as they're escorting me to the hospital, I ain't worried. There's no sense of anxiety. Why? Because I know I got the blessings of the popo. <laughs> they've, they've, they've given me their favor. They've given me their authority. And see, when you understand that I'm in relationship with God and I'm walking in righteousness, hear me, integrity is the best sleep aid there is. Did you get that? Integrity is the best sleep aid there is. When you ain't doing right, you should be stressed out. When, when you when you walking in darkness, now, now you got to come up with lies, then remember the lies. And you're trying to figure out which lie you done told and how can I be consistent. But when you're walking with God and walking in integrity, you ain't got to remember nothing because you're walking in truth and walking in the light as he is in the light. This is the way of the righteous person. So, brothers, why, why do I want to go in that direction? Why do I want to give my life to walking in righteousness? The psalmist says, listen, when you do that, you will experience God's divine favor and blessings on your life. You will know happiness. You will know happiness. But now, secondly... How do I experience righteousness? Brothers, the psalmist, this man in Psalm 1 makes two decisions. I've only got two points for you. It's a perfect Father's Day message. I only got two. If, if you make these two decisions, not only will you be walking in righteousness, brothers, but you will be experiencing the blessed life in God's divine favor on your life. He makes two decisions. Decision number one, he has the right companions. He has the right companions. Listen to what, how it starts. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Oh, wait a minute, pastor. Wait a minute. Are you and the psalmist telling me that I, I can't have my non-Christian neighbor over to my house for dinner? No. Wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying that, that, that I, I can't make friends with non-believers? Not saying that at all. Please notice the phrases in this text. Blessed is the man, watch it now, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Those, those phrases, counsel the wicked, um, way of sinners, seat of scoffers, watch it now. They don't so much speak to individuals as they do environments. Now, I want to be careful here. The, the thrust of this text is not so much on individuals, but it is on environments. Be careful of the environments in which you hang out. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. When I was first learning how to drive, I uh, just got my license. 
Uh, I'm, in, I'm living in Atlanta at the time and uh, hanging out with some friends. We go to this restaurant, downtown Atlanta, and uh, this is in a pre-Google Maps world. Um, this is in a pre-MapQuest world. How many people remember MapQuest? You had to print the bad boy out. Um, so it was, all that was, it was before all that. So uh, we gone out to dinner. We'd taken several cars, and I'm following them back to their house. I don't know how to get to their house. I'm following them back to their house. And we're zipping through one of those peach trees in downtown uh, Atlanta. And uh, this person I'm following is going really fast, and they're hard to keep up. And I'm, we're zipping through Atlanta, zipping through. And sure enough, the police pull my friend over. True story. Pull my friend over, and without even thinking, I pull over with him. And the cop says to me, can I help you? I said, well, I was following them. He goes, okay, you get a ticket too. (laughs) Hanging out with the wrong crowd. (laughs) Following them costs me deeply and dearly. That's exactly the psalmist's point in our text. Be careful of the environments in which you hang out in. It's what Paul gets to in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says it's bad company that corrupts good morals. The righteous person understands the importance of community, and he makes sure he's running with the right crowd. He's avoiding the wrong companions. Now, how do I apply this to you? If I was teaching this upstairs with our middle school and high school students, I would, at this moment, take the time to talk about peer pressure. By the way, I pray Psalm 1 over my boys every single week. This is a powerful passage, parents, especially of, of, um, of school-age kids, to pray over your kids. I pray two things for my boys, that, God, you would give them the discernment to make right decisions as it relates to who they invite into their lives. God, I need you to, I need you to do that. I also pray, God, make them the right kind of people that other parents want their kids to hang out with. So th- this Psalm 1 is a powerful text to pray over your kids. But we're mostly adults here, and uh, I'm guessing that peer pressure is not as big of a deal. So, so how do we make Psalm 1-1 applicable, this idea of making sure to avoid certain environments? I, I would say it to you this way. All of us in this room, and I want, I want to talk to us brothers, be very honest and authentic and real. Take inventory of what your weaknesses are and weed out anyone in your life who facilitates those weaknesses. Preach, pastor. Preach. Preach. All of us in this, in this room, we need to take very careful inventory of what our struggles are. Hebrews 12 calls it the sin which so easily entangles. All of us have it. And make sure we weed out anyone in our lives who facilitates those weaknesses. Quite simply, if, if your struggle is alcohol, drinking too much, you don't need to run with folk who drink too much. If your struggle is some sort of a substance abuse, maybe drug addiction has been a part of your narrative, you don't need people in your life who would encourage you going back to that old way. They need to be weeded out. Let me spend a little bit of time talking about this one. If lust is a part of your narrative, a part of your struggle, 
then you need to weed out. See, see, don't look at, don't look at the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers as just being other men. Now, I know we in this Me Too movement. But brothers, there's some women out there who care nothing about you being married. They don't care nothing about your biblical convictions. And you need to have the discernment. See, see listen, listen. I know you're sophisticated. I know you're so godly and so mature. But if you're married, you don't need any female friends in your life outside of your wife. We got, here's, we, we got to be careful with social media here. The, 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 the one thing I hate about social media is it won't let me permanently close doors in my life. There's some people in my life I never need to hear from you again. I just don't need to hear from you again. And so we've got to be careful here because some of, some of what makes up the counsel of the wicked are members of the opposite sex. And we need to be discerning. I have my sons reading Proverbs chapters 5 and 7. And this, brothers, is an important text. Let me just read Proverbs chapter 5. Um, and it's worth me reading verses 3 through 15 because I think it draws us into this principle here. Listen. The Proverbs author writes, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip, drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Shoal. She does not ponder the path of life. She don't care about you being saved. Her ways wander. She doesn't know it. Oh, and now, O oh sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Hear it. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I love this last verse. Drink water from your own cistern. You know what that means? If you marry, be satisfied with your own wife. Flowing water from your own well. So the righteous person says, I can't run in certain environments and hang out with certain folk. I just can't do it. Just can't do it. So in the context of marriage, especially brothers, it doesn't work to be married but act like you're single. All right, I've beaten that dead horse long enough. Be discerning about your environments. Now, on the flip side, let me give you, give you something positive here. We have to run with the right people. And hear me, 
just because they say they're saved does not mean they're the right people. You with me? So what we need, and I'm especially on Father's Day talking to brothers, what we need are men who are godly, who we can speak life to one another, who share our convictions, and who are fun to hang out with. Uh, you know, there's some godly people, I, you know, I'm just, you know, I love your, your heart for the Lord, but I just can't see myself kicking it with you. And if I can just tell the truth, my wife and I, you know, we've gone out with couples all the time, and I'll come back, and I'll be like, hey, man, that brother's so cool. And my wife was like, yeah, the wife, not so much, so that's the last date we having with them. And sometimes it's vice versa. So there's a chemistry here. There's a chemistry here. And there's got to be that. But listen, brothers, we were created for community. God looks at Adam in Genesis. You know what he says to Adam? It's not good for man to be alone. You know what the book of Proverbs says? He who isolates himself is a fool. So one of the things the enemy does is he gets us disappointed in people, and then some of us check a box and says, I don't need people. You know what Proverbs says about that? That's foolishness. We need people. We need people in our lives. Over 100 times in the New Testament, you've heard me say this before, the phrase one another is used. Over 100 times in the New Testament, we were created for community. I was sitting outside one time with, with my sons, and we're just sitting there talking, and I'm just digging into their lives and, and hearing what's going on with them. And we're sitting out there. Where it's literally, we've got this little um, um, uh, outdoor fire pit going. And I, and I said to them, we're talking about the, the importance of just having godly friends. And, and I said to them, it's actually an old C.S. Lewis illustration. I said to them, look, guys, w- what makes this fire work now is you have three logs that are on fire in close community with one another. I said, if I wanted the fire to go out of one of those logs, all I would do is I would pull it away from the other logs, keep it in isolation, and the heat will go out. So what I want you to understand is community is not an elective to the Christian. It is core curriculum to the Christian life. Here's our problem, though, brothers. We men tend to make terrible friends. Why? Because as my mentor says, you, took, you put two men next to each other, our natural default is competition. It's our natural default. I, I love what Rick Warren says. Please get this word in your spirit. Rick Warren says, when we share our strengths, that instigates competition. But when we share our hurts, that breeds unity. Give that to you again. Rick Warren says, when we share our strengths that instigates competition. What do you do for a living? Well, I do this for a living. I do this for a living. Well, what about your kid? Well, my kid's in this activity, and he's doing this, and my kid's in that activity, and he's doing this. That tit-for-tat back and forth when we share our strength. But when we share our hurts, our struggles, this is what I'm going through. See, that's why, men, I want to encourage you later on this summer, we're going we're gonna to relaunch our men's huddle. And you'll come to this men's huddle, 8.30 to 10 a.m. on a Saturday. Just give us 90 minutes. And first 30 minutes, you're just checking in around the round table and eating some good breakfast. Next 30 minutes is a good video teaching. Then the last 30 minutes, you're just discussing and unpacking. I've just seen this in the men's huddle happen all the time where, where, where something will happen in, in the video teaching and one of the brothers will just openly sh- share, man, I'm struggling in this area. And, and immediately, the app atmosphere just shifts because now with that one brother being vulnerable enough to say, let me just keep it real. I may be in the church, but I ain't got time to fake anything. This is where I'm at in real time. That now allows other brothers to exhale and say, you too. 
Well, so am I. This is what I'm, and next thing you know, we're, we're like this. Why? Because we're sharing our hurts. Now, all of us up in this room, we got something. And your something may not be my something, and my something may not be your something, but all of us got something. And it's when we share that brokenness that we're now drawn together. So what makes the righteous person the righteous person? Number one, he's got the right companions. But number two, finally, he's got the right compass. He's got the right compass. Listen to what he says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So he's got godly community. He's, invo- he's avoiding the wrong places. He's got godly men in his life. But secondly and finally, what's happening is he is meditating on the word of God. I love this. He calls it the law of the Lord. The Hebrew word for law is Torah, which literally means instruction, not information. Information is broad. We have a lot of information up here right now, and and most of that information is useless. Instruction is, is specific, and it implies guidance. The Word of God is instruction. It guides us in the right way in which we are to live. So that, watch it now, I love this, what makes the righteous person the righteous person, he's got the right companions, but he's coming to the word of God as a means of instruction, and he is living underneath the authority of the word of God, bending his will to God's word. That's what makes him righteous. And I love it. He says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, you've heard me say this before. I think one of the biggest tricks of the enemy is to get us to buy into this thing called a quiet time. The idea of quiet time is, let me just spend 30 minutes with the Lord in the morning, check that box. The other 23 and a half hours are mine. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches abiding. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. The righteous person in our text meditates day and night. He's living, and watch this, this is in a pre-podcast world. See, we ain't got no excuse now. I mean, we, we got podcasts, we, we got Bible apps, we, we got no excuse now. He's meditating. And the idea of meditating is a constant chewing. Constant, that's what the righteous brother does. He's a man of God's word. He sits and he soaks on it. Watch it now. Watch it now. He's not preoccupied with his sin. He's preoccupied with the word of God. Listen, 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 listen. Growing up in my house, we didn't have a dishwasher. I'll I'll take that back. Let me amend that. I was the dishwasher. All right? And... And um, early on, I I learned a trick because, you know, when when you wash dishes the old school way, sometimes you'd come across dishes, pots, pans, that the dirt was really ingrained in it. And uh, one of the things I could do is I could scrub, 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 exert all that energy. But, But I learned pretty quickly, there's a more efficient way to go about this. I'd fill up the sink with some water, you know, and get that, get that water a little, little, little soapy, and I'd, 
I'd put, I'd submerge into this soapy water that dish that was extra dirty, that pan that was extra dirty, that pot that was extra dirty, and I'd just let that bad boy sit in that water. Uh, I'd, I'd let that water interact with it. I'd let that pot, that pan, that dish just meditate in that water. And you let that thing meditate in that water long enough, what happens? You pull that bad boy out, uh, uh, hours later, the dirt just slides off. Why? Because it had been meditating in the water. Do you know the idea of righteous? It literally means clean. What makes the righteous person clean is he ain't scrubbing, 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 scrubbing. Oh, my gosh, i got to get this dirt off my He's just meditating in the soapy water of God's Word. He's a man of the Word of God. And what happens when I live in light of that? The side effect is I'm clean. So, men, here's what I'm saying. Don't obsess over your sin. Obsess over God's Word. Live under God's word. Get in it in the morning. Read you something. Read through the Sermon on the Mount or go through our Bible reading program, what we're doing. Uh, working out. One of the things I love to do is just put on a good podcast. Uh, podcast Matt Chandler. Podcast uh, J.D. Greer. Podcast H.B. Charles. Podcast Charlie Dates. Uh, or, or Fred and I were out yesterday playing golf. He wore me out on the golf course. Don't say amen, Fred. Um, uh, but I got him, I got him the, the first time, so we, we won and won. Anyways, so we're out on the golf course yesterday, and Fred's t- uh, telling me about this. Uh, about the, what's, the name, what's the name of that podcast, Fred? Right Now Media. Um, he calls it the Netflix of, of, of Christian sermons. It, download Right Now Media. Subscribe to it. And, and the thing I love about it is it's got all the sermons categorized. So if you need a good word on manhood, there's a whole section on manhood right there on Right Now Media. If you want to talk about sexual purity, there's a whole section of sermons. that, that are, Whatever the topic is, listen, we have no excuse in this technological age to not be people of the word. And then I sit and I go... The Bible says when I get attacked that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, which means, here's what Jesus did. I'm talking about Jesus, the ultimate righteous man. Satan came and attacked him in Matthew chapter 4, and three times, how does he answer? It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus used the word to get victory, how much more so Do I need to hide God's word in my heart to combat the enemy? This is what the righteous person does. They live under the authority of the word of God. I'm done. What's the result? Men, when you make these two decisions, what's the result? Here's the result. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, in all that he does, he prospers. In all, I love that. In all that he does, he prospers. So this is comprehensive prosperity, which means there's spiritual prosperity, emotional prosperity, relationship prosperity, financial prosperity. Because I'm just living on the Word of it. Now, now watch it. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. In context, what's the streams of water? Nourishing that tree, great godly community, and the Word of God. You live under those two things, you will become that tree. Now watch it. A tree gives life. When you study the trees in the Bible, 250 times it's mentioned, they are life-giving entities. Righteous men give life. They don't take life. You've heard me say this before. Boys take, men give. Godly men 
when you're around a godly man, you feel nourished, you feel edified, you feel built up, you don't feel taken advantage of. And brothers, I'm here to tell you, our ladies are starving for some righteous trees known as godly men. Godly men who will come alongside of them and by way of life make our women better people because we're just, we're just rooted. I, I love it. We're, we're, you, you know what it means to be rooted? She ain't worried about whether or not you're going to leave her. She, she, ain't, she ain't worried about whether or not you're going to have a character meltdown because your roots go deep. They go deep. You're dependable. You say something and you do it. You show up. You're a person of integrity. Integrity is the alignment of words with deeds. But, brothers, that starts by saying, I, I, I just got to get some on-fire logs around me, and I'm going to live under the authority of the Word of God. Those are the only two things you got to do. You do those things. You'll be a righteous tree. I'm done. I, I, I want to end today just in prayer. I really have a heart for men. Um, I've, I've shared this with you before. Um, the story of my life, um, uh, oftentimes I feel guilty about it. Um, but the story of my life is just the sovereign grace of God. I am where I am today because of the sovereign grace of God. But God's worked in my life through other godly men. So I, I can take you all the, way, all the way back in my lineage to the pre-emancipation proclamation days with my great-great-grandfather Peter who was a slave, who loved Jesus. And he had a son named Milton. Grew up in Jim Crow. Who loved Jesus? And he had a son, my grandfather, Crawford Luritz uh, Sr., who loved Jesus, grew up during Jim Crow. And my father, godly man, married 47 years, loved Jesus. In my line, there's no such thing as a man who didn't love the Lord or a man who divorced his wife. So I, I just want you to understand, I feel like my life has been fast-tracked because I've got a bunch of godly men around me. I come from a godly lineage. Listen to me. Some of you men are deflated by what I just said because that ain't your story. The temptation saying your story. Papa was a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. And when he died, all he ever left me was alone. Listen, brothers, you can make a decision today. I'm going to reverse that curse. I'm going to write a new chapter. I'm going to begin a new book. And I really feel for some of you brothers because you feel like you're making this manhood thing up on the fly. You feel like you're making it up. But you've got a great guidebook. It's called the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, run to that Word. And then me and the elders, and there's some other godly leaders here, we'd love to walk with you. Get in the men's huddle. You are not alone. But I believe as goes the men, so goes society. And we need godly men who are going to step up. I want us to pray. We're out of here. If you're a man in the house today and you grew up without a godly male role model in your home, 
and you would say, Pastor, just pray for me. I want to be this Psalm 1 man, but I come out of a legacy of brokenness. And I just want prayer that I would grow into this Psalm 1 man. Would you come to the altar? I, I want to pray for, for men who just feel like I, I come out of brokenness. And I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I want to step up to the plate. And, and I, just, I just need prayer. I just, I just need prayer. I just need prayer. I just need prayer. I, I'm, 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 I'm wanting to write a new narrative. I'm wanting to write a new narrative. I want to be this Psalm 1 man. And maybe you felt a little bitterness in your own pilgrimage, just going, man, I just, I wasn't given that model. I wasn't given that GPS. And I want to be the kind of man that Psalm 1 has ordained me to be. So, Father, on this Father's Day, we do declare once again that you are a good, good father. It is who you are. God, we stand with David who said, when mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. God, I just declare for those men who came, Lord God, and just came out of a sense of brokenness, and yet, Lord God, hopeful that they can write a new narrative, I pray that they leave encouraged and strengthened by the Spirit of God, that, that today can mark a new day in their journey with you. And Father, I pledge myself, Lord God, to, to being all that you've called me to be as a man. And I, I stand with other men, Lord God, broken and, 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 and as messed up as we can be, Lord God. Thank you that your grace covers us. And so now, Lord God, we leave in that grace. Cover us again, we pray. It is in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen and amen.